0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 359 with Karen, the Hurt Hurt I don't know if that's actually her nickname, but she was once struck by lightning, and does kickboxing, and has even more interesting things to share about how to overcome the fear of speaking up. So, you're going to learn one, three steps for overcoming that fear of speaking up; two, approaches to encourage others to speak up using the only ugly framework; and three, the primary way we end up dampening the willingness of others to speak up. So, if you'd like to take a look at the show notes, or the transcript, or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com/slash/ep359. And while there, I hope you check out some of our cool stuff, such as the Golden Nugget email list, which gives you summary insights from Karen and all 350 guests who have come before her and after her in a quick summary format in your inbox. And then with an ongoing reference, you can access forever. Now, here's Karen's story. Karen has over two decades of experience in customer service, sales and human resources. She's the award-winning author of two books, Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul and Overcoming an Imperfect Boss. A former Verizon Wireless executive, Karen transformed customer service outsourcing of over 96 million calls per year to reach parity and quality with the internal call centers and developed a leading sales team that won the President's Award for Customer Growth. Big thanks to Karen for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Karen. Karen, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
0: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Well, first thing I want to hear about you is that I understand in your life, you were struck by lightning. What is the story behind this?
0: Yeah, people tell me that explains a lot about my personality, actually. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) it was not one of my brighter moments. I was a, a manager of a pool, and I closed the pool because of lightning, like you're supposed to, and then proceeded to go sit down at a metal table to wait the storm out. And so oh. the the lightning got attracted to the metal table, uh, split a brick in half that was right in front of me, and propelled me about five feet uh, against a wall. But Whoa. I was fine. <laughs> yeah, it was really crazy.
1: So did it strike you directly or did it strike like the brick in front of you?
0: It hit the brick and then the momentum of the and then it ricocheted into me. So I think oh if it gosh. hits directly yeah, it was crazy. And I was sitting next to a guy who's like three hundred pounds and he flew too.
1: <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. So you went to the hospital or how did this end up unfolding at the end?
0: I went to, you know, I went to the ER, but they, you know, they didn't keep me or anything. It was fine.
1: Okay. Wow. You know, that is wild. And I always wonder if people take that personally, like with you and God. (laughs) Right. Is there a message here? (laughs) Because this feels very, you know, intentional and and targeted.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Well, did you choose to interpret it in any particular way or you just said, hey, man, stuff happens?
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, I just took the story and ran with it, right?
1: Well, and you've been using it in podcast interviews, (laughs) you know, years later. So, well, I'm glad that you're safe and well. And how about the other gentleman? Did he turn out okay?
0: Yeah, he's
1: fine, too. Oh, excellent. All right.
0: Cool. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he
1: was he a jerk before lightning struck yeah, him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe the lightning was directed at him and I
0: was in the crossfire.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, we're, well, <laughs> thank you. Well, So tell us a little bit. You are the chief executive officer of the organization Let's Grow Leaders. What is this organization about?
0: We are an international leadership development company. So uh, we do long-term leadership development programs, uh, short programs as well. We work both uh, with corporate clients and also government clients. And uh, we also do keynote speaking and a little bit of strategic consulting.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, that's a nice lineup. And so you've packaged some of the wisdom in your book, Winning Well. What's this book all about?
0: It's called Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And so it's how do you get breakthrough results and remain a decent human being along the way? And it's really focused on extremely practical tools to do that. So how do you win well when you have to have a tough conversation with an employee or when you need to terminate someone or when you're running a a meeting? How do you do that in a way that really both uh, builds results and gains uh, better relationships?
1: Oh boy, there's so much we could talk about there. And I want to hit a a little bit there and in particular dig into a term you've turned into an acronym, the fear of speaking up or F-O-S-U. FOSU. FOSU, is that how you (laughs) pronounce it? Okay, I was wondering. Yeah,
0: you know, like fear of missing out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, we talked to Patrick McGinnis who apparently coined that phrase, fun fact, in a previous episode. Oh really? He didn't coin it in the episode, but in a previous episode we talked to him and he coined it. He also said he had fear of a better option, FOBO, and that never really caught on. <laughs> oh,
0: funny. Well, we're hoping Fosu so, will catch on.
1: Well, it's catchy and I think it's a real phenomenon. So what caused you to focus in on this phenomenon? Could you kind of orient us to some of your research or findings or discoveries on this concept?
0: I will tell you that we were noticing a really significant pattern when we would go in and work at multiple levels of an organization. So we would talk to the C-level, right? You go and you're talking to the CEO or the senior vice presidents, and they say, ah, I just wish our employees at the front line or our first-level supervisors would tell us when they see these issues or when they see that we have negative things that are impacting our customers, or I wish they would... uh, you know, think more creatively or solve more problems on their own. I don't know why they just sit you know keep their heads down, do their work, and don't speak up and Then we go in to do work at the front line, and we hear employees say, "Nobody cares about what I think. Every time I bring an issue to my supervisor, they tell me not to worry about it, uh just get, keep focused on my job and so there was this massive disconnect within the same organization
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so we started then looking at well other organizations where that wasn't the case, where people really were speaking up and what was the difference. And so, you know, we also have developed some very specific tools that we use to help encourage uh, senior leaders to ask, right, or middle managers to ask uh, and make sure they are encouraging this, uh, you know, people to bring forth problems and to bring forth their ideas in a very strategic way. And then we're also, we also have tools where we help uh, the front line position their ideas in a way that can be heard because there's this other dynamic. And sometimes people blame the millennials, but I, you know, I, I don't think it's just a millennial. Anything is just one generation's issue, right? But, you know, they, people say, well, my problem is my employees are speaking up, but they're not doing it well, right? And so they're just blurting out their ideas and, and they're not positioning them uh, well so that they're being rejected. And that's another dynamic. So we really have been working on how do you get senior leaders and middle managers to ask and how do you help frontline and lower level management to position their ideas in a way that they are well-received. And that's been a lot of of fun and we've really um, been learning a lot about what works the best.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this feels like a really big, important topic and I'm excited to dig into some of the practical how-tos But I'd love to get your take on, you know, this issue. How big is it? How important is it to tackle this as opposed to any other matters of, you know, communication, collaboration, culture, stuff in the work environment? Have you made some discoveries in terms of the gravity of this issue?
0: Yeah. So I think it's getting more and more important, right? It's always been an issue. This is not new, but why is it so important now? And, you know, as we go into an age where uh, so much is being automated, right, the easy stuff is getting automated. If you want to uh, provide effective customer service and it's about something easy, you, create, you drive it to self-serve and people do it online. But by the time they get to a human being, Right, They are needing more sophisticated conversation. They are needing uh, and they want somebody who can really hear their ideas. So now you've got uh, these folks at the front line who are really getting to the heart of what your customers concerns are. And if they don't A, feel empowered to do the things they need to do or to raise the issues upwards and let people know what that customer experience is like, you're not going to have the innovation you need. Uh, for your company.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I would say that is definitely a piece of it. Uh, another is, you know, employee engagement continues to be a challenge, right? There's the Gallup research that says 70% of, of managers are feeling uh, disengaged or uh, severely disengaged at work. And where does that disengagement come from? Uh, a big part of that is people who feel like they're not being heard. And so when you can give people a voice, that really helps uh, create a deeper connection to the work that they're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's powerful. and That makes me think about sort of Google's work associated. As a Project Aristotle, I always get it mixed up, you know, associated with psychological safety in teams being like the thing that differentiates the high performing teams from the not so high performing in which people just feel, you know, safe and comfortable expressing just you, know, what they think. And you had some research I saw on your Twitter, I believe, or somewhere in my research about you. You discovered that was it less than 1% of employees felt very confident and comfortable sharing their thoughts and ideas? Can you unpack this stat for us a little bit?
0: Yeah. So um, this wasn't from our original research, but this was just some of the work that we were doing to understand what was happening. It was actually uh, some work that Vital Smarts did, it uh, was their survey. But uh, we're actually in the process right now of doing uh we're in the throes of a, a a big a big deeper deep study with uh University of North Colorado so i'll have more of our own statistics soon uh, but this basically said you know people are afraid to really say what they feel um, and i'll give you an example of uh, a very real example of how this played out just a couple of weeks ago with a client we were working with so it was a Big software implementation that had been done company wide and throughout they had had user groups, user experience calls every single week. And, you know, the users would raise any issues that they had and then they would, you know, knock them out and they thought everything was going fantastic. And then the vice president said, okay, great. I'm just going to go now do some management by walking around, go into the field, see how things are going. And she sat next to a representative who brought up the software. And it took five minutes for the first page to load. And mm. it took another five, minutes, which is not how this experience should be. And the software company had promised that this new system would be seven times faster than what they were working with previously. And here this was radically slower. And so she said to the representative, is it always like this? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has a lot of other great features And she said, no, it's not supposed to be like this. Why didn't you say something? And she said, because my manager said, you know, the company has invested a lot in this software. So whatever you do, just tell everybody how wonderful it is and how grateful you are to have it.
1: Oh boy, sabotage.
0: <laughs> right, and as it turned out, it was just that, uh, you know, they, the network couldn't support it, right? They just, they needed to do a network upgrade. There was nothing wrong with the software. They needed to do a network upgrade, which is not a big deal. Okay. And they were able to fix it within 24 hours. But th- these representatives have been suffering with the lost productivity of this for, for a month. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's the kind of thing where, you know, why are, who was scared there? Well, probably that person's immediate supervisor, right? And you can't have a, a, an environment like that if you really want to get to the root of problems quickly.
1: And so we talk about fear there. Can you maybe unpack that in terms of, you know, what is the specific fear and how real is it versus imaginary?
0: Yeah, and that is a lot of what we've really been thinking a lot about. How real is it, right? So I think people are afraid. It's, you can't get in trouble for not doing anything or not saying anything. But you can get in trouble Hmm. if you say something Uh, and people think it's uh, dumb.
1: Fair enough, a safer (laughs) bet is to keep your mouth shut.
0: Safer bet is to keep (laughs) your mouth shut, exactly. And so that is part of it. And it also, I believe, sometimes is fear at the middle management level which then trickles down mm-hmm. and so people say, "You know, no, don't bother them with this, and so they keep you know keep the ideas down um, and then a big part of this fear, which we find, is that somewhere along the line, somebody spoke up a long, long time ago, and it didn't go well, right either. You know, I'm a manager, and I used to have a terrible boss, and I wasn't allowed to speak up. And now I have a new boss, but I'm not giving my new boss the benefit of the doubt because I've learned these old habits. Mm -hmm. I was working in one organization, and uh, it was so crazy. They were all telling these stories to me about how nobody ever listens, and you you know you can really get in trouble if you if you try to raise issues. And so I started saying. How long ago was that? And, oh, well, that was 10 years ago. Well, it was 15 years ago, but it's still the same now, right? Mm-hmm. They couldn't come up with a current example, but it was so deeply embedded in this culture. And so for that organization, we really had to give the man, you know, the management team very specific tools that they could use to encourage people to speak up and really come out and say, yeah, no, the culture is different now.
1: hmm Yeah. I dig that. So when the bad things happen, you know, can you unpack a little bit? Like, let's just take a good hard look at the worst case scenario when it comes to speaking up in terms of, you know, someone just like yells, like, don't bother me with this. Handle it yourself, Karen. I'm busy. You know, or kind of what's it sound like in practice when it goes wrong?
0: I think, or that's a dumb idea, or we've tried that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will never work. All right. Yeah, you know, this is out of your swim lane.
1: Oh, metaphor. Okay. <laughs> right?
0: Stay in your lane. Don't <laughs> worry about that. That's not your, your issue to deal with. And usually when you hear stuff like that, it's coming from insecure, an insecure manager.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, but what's interesting is, you know, call me an optimist, but, um, you know, none of those reactions were extreme. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not either you're fired or if you ever mouth off, <laughs> you know, right. in this sort of a way suggesting that uh, all of the ways we've worked in the processes that we've implemented are inadequate for your higher standards and you're ungrateful that you could just find the door over there. So it sounds like it's sort of dismissive. It's kind of disrespectful. It would make you feel like, oh, you know, like I'm hearing <laughs> the Charlie Brown music in my head. Like, oh, bummer. Oh, okay. yeah. But it's not brutal. It's just sort of unpleasant and just makes you feel not so good.
0: I totally agree with you. And and that's really the point, right? I think that a lot of this fear people have exaggerated in their heads or they've extrapolated from one bad experience and have forgotten the other 99 good experiences they had when they did speak up.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so then let's dig into a little bit of the how-to. So if you're experiencing some fear of speaking up, I guess maybe how do you tackle the emotional element of that? And then how do you actually do the positioning of the issues?
0: Yeah. So I would say first and foremost, it's it's how do you connect your what to your why? You know, what is it that you want to say? And why is it so important? Because if you can ground in the greater good that you're trying to accomplish, you're going to get some courage from that. Uh, Another element in terms of coming up with the, you know, overcoming the fear is think about some times that you did speak up. And what did you do to make that work? And what was the impact um, rather than thinking about, you know, maybe the one off circumstance where you spoke up and it didn't go well. And, you know, all, you know, one of the best ways to build confidence is to recall on past experiences that were successful. Right. And then the next is to use some tools to do it well. And one of the most important techniques that we teach is how do you initiate the conversation So you've got some hard news or some bad news that you need to give to your boss, right? Uh, Or some feedback that uh, you are worried is not going to be received well. Start by making a real genuine connection. You know, I really, really care about you and your career. I care about this team and I care about the projects that we're working on. And I really want us all to be successful. Um, I've had some observations. Do you have a minute? Right. It's very hard for anybody to become defensive when you start like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So that's, you know, start by creating the genuine connection. And then from there, make sure that you're doing this in private. Um, If you're talking about something controversial, uh, nobody wants to be confronted in front of a bunch of other people. I mean, this is different than if some, if your boss is in a team meeting says, does anybody have any suggestions? That's different because they've invited it in. But if you are the one initiating it, it's always better to take it offline
2: mm-hmm.
0: and have that conversation. And then the next piece is to really consider what is your, uh, the person you're trying to persuade uh, what, what, what's big on their mind, what is their most important things and how can you position what you're looking to accomplish in a way that relates to that, right? If their most important focus is, you know, the financial bottom line, how can you position what you're worried about in terms of the impact it's going to have on the financial bottom line? Um, if they're most worried about the customer experience, how do you position what you're going to say in the way that, uh, what you're worried about is negatively impacting, uh, the customer experience. So um, And then the other is, you know, stakeholdering. Often there are other people um, who you can gather information from um, or or you can help engage in your argument uh, that may have more credibility on the subject than you. Um, So I'll give you a, a, for example, on that one. I worked at Verizon for 20 years and at one point I was leading a, a 2200 person sales team and it was, we had had a particular month there, like, Murphy's law: everything that could have possibly gone wrong did. Like we had several feet of snow, just a bunch of different things, and it was very clear to me that there was no salesperson on my entire team that was going to make quota. Mm-hmm. And if you don't make quota, you you know, if you don't get to a certain threshold, you really don't get any compensation additional to your salary. And this is a huge deal for salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I was worried about was that if people were beginning to look towards the end of the month and they said there's no way I'm going to make any commission this month, they were going to sandbag and not uh, and, and save all their sales for the following month, mm-hmm. which would have been terrible for our revenue numbers. But I really couldn't go to my boss who was the regional president and say we need to lower quotas, right? Because that looked self-serving because if I lower my team's quotas, my quota goes down. So instead, I went to our um our finance director. And I explained to him and I did the math and I showed him how we would actually get more revenue and more margin, even if we paid out commis- more commissions by lowering the quotas. He, he got the math. He said, I think you're absolutely right. He went to the regional president and explained it and they lowered quotas. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, as long as you get what you want, it doesn't matter who gets the credit for the idea. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that's also part of it.
1: That's cool and very sensible and proactive to identify that and get that going. So (laughs) I'm fixated. Now, the snow, I know I've done some work with wireless companies and training. So the snow impacts the quality of the signal, but are you talking about just their ability for people to get to their meetings?
0: To the store. So we, I had, it was retail sales. So I had, um, the stores, all the Verizon wireless stores in Maryland, DC and Virginia. Mm -hmm. So if you have three feet of snow, customers are not coming to your stores, even if you're open.
1: Right. They'll do that later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Understood. Thank you.
0: At least not to buy a new phone, right? They may be coming for something to repair, but that doesn't create revenue.
1: Mm -hmm. Understood. Okay. Well, so we talked about the individual professional kind of raising an issue upward to management. So now what if you are the manager and you want to encourage people to speak up effectively. How do you do that?
0: Yeah, a couple of different ways. Uh, One tool we use and have created is called Own the Ugly. And so this is just four very easy questions that you can ask your team. What are we underestimating? That's you. G, what's got to go? L, where are we losing? And Y, where are we missing the yes? And uh, so like an example of this, we did a only ugly conversation. It was a company that had grown from five people to 110 people in five years. All right. And uh, so as they were growing, uh, people were coming from other companies and they were bringing their favorite project management software, their favorite communication tools, and they just kept adding more and more tools to the mix. And so we were doing this uh, strategic offsite and we had broke the team up into the four conversations and the what's got to go group listed every communication tool and project management tool that they had and they had listed like 27 of these
2: mm-hmm. and
0: then they gave everybody in the room a dot and said put a dot next to the ones three of these that you think are the ones we should keep that you use every day mm-hmm. and all the dots clustered in the same couple of tools mm-hmm. And so then they said, what would happen if we got rid of what's got to go? We got rid of everything else. And everybody in the room was like, yes, oh, thank God. Then they looked back at the chief operating officer and they thought he was going to be furious because they thought he wanted these tools. And he said, oh, my gosh, I I thought you wanted these tools. You know how much money we're going to save if we don't have to pay the licensing on all this? And so then they simplified because what they were finding is that people were spending as much time updating software and programs and they were working on the work. So that was a very, uh, you know, a quick, easy example of you ask people, what do we need to stop doing? Um, You know, uh, where are we missing the yes? Where are there, you know, ask your team, where are there opportunities? We may not be thinking about here that could really add additional revenue or improve the customer experience. And, Every single time we use this exercise with teams, it is fascinating to me how fast, how many ideas get into the room. Uh, We uh, were working the other day um, with a company and we just spent about two hours doing this exercise and they came up with a list of um, a whole easel sheet of things that they could immediately implement within the next 30 days that would really make life better. And then they came up with three strategic projects that they would work on for the next uh, year. Mm -hmm. A good investment of two hours, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And so let's review. So we got four components, the UGLY. Can we hear them again?
0: Yeah. What are we underestimating? So maybe we're underestimating competitive pressures. Maybe we're underestimating uh, the shift in the job market. Uh, We're underestimating Um, this new uh, call center that's opened up down the street that's gonna take all of our best talent because they're paying $2 more per hour. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, G, what's gotta go? What do we need to stop doing? L, where are we losing? Where are we losing to our competition? Uh, Where are we, maybe where are we losing talent? Why are we losing talent? Um, And then why, where are we missing the yes? This is where are there real strategic opportunities that we could be focused on um, that we're not.
1: That's excellent. And uh, that reminds me of a powerful question we picked up from uh, Jason Nazar, who founded Comparably. We interviewed him some episodes ago and his power question was, uh, what am I pretending not to know? <laughs> and yeah. I thought, whoa, yeah, that's potent. And so then you've even made it all the more richer and more robust with kind of subcategories of the ways we pretend, <laughs> you know, not to know things.
0: Yeah.
1: That's cool. Thank you. Sure.
0: And so the other thing I would say is, if you really want people to tell you the truth, it's you know not just management by walking around MBWA, but um, one of the things we often see is uh, we call it O H. It's a, oh crap, here they come O C H T C. And you know how are you showing up when people see you coming? Are they excited to tell you what they're working on? Are they knowing that you're genuinely interested in hearing what's working and what your ideas are? Um, or are you showing up, pointing out everything that's wrong, telling them your point of view and shutting things down? Mm. And in every organization, we see some of both, yeah. you know? And so just how do you show up in a way that is, is really curious. Um, and, and when people really believe that you are genuinely interested, they're going to want to show you what they're doing. And that's where you're going to really get some of the best practices.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious, you mentioned being curious, the best practices. Are there some worst practices, some key things folks do that maybe subtly or not so subtly just kill, you know, that willingness to speak up from others?
0: Yeah, the very best way to kill that is to ask people for their ideas and feedback and then not do anything with them.
1: All right.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You'll see, you know, the employee suggestion boxes or, you know, the electronic version of that or um, where they're just absolutely these ideas go to die. And so even if you can't implement the idea somehow acknowledging hey we've heard you uh, thank you so much for your input really recognize that um recognize people who are who are speaking up and bringing ideas forward and then even if you can't then you at least explain why right mm-hmm. this is a great idea this is why we can't do this at this time uh, but thank you, and please keep these ideas coming because I'm sure you're going to have one that we will be exactly what we need, you know, and just really being encouraging of that. Um, I, I was doing, I was doing, I read an article the other day, and I, I think it was Harvard Business Review, yeah, where they were um, talking about they had a recognition program. This company had a recognition program for if you stole somebody else's best practice and implemented it, it and it was really successful, the person whose idea you stole, stole like a little S, right, Mm -hmm. would get recognized and you would also get recognized. That's good. Right. So people were really, really encouraged to not just share, you know, to not just keep doing their own things in their own teams, but to share with other people.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, Karen, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things.
0: I think that's good.
1: All right, great. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
0: Eleanor Roosevelt, do one thing every day that scares you. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, very, very relevant to what we're talking about here. Um, because half the time when we do things, we realize that they weren't as scary as that we really thought.
1: Right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
0: I am a, uh, a real big believer in the diffusion of innovations, which is a old, it dates back to the 60s. But I find that theory has been one of the most grounding theories for me in large-scale change efforts. And the idea there is, who are your change agents, right? How how do they influence people? Uh, Who are your early adopters? How do you get them involved in spreading the word early on? Who are the people who are reluctant? And really mapping out in any change, where do different people who you must influence fit in this in this change curve? And then what are the strategic ways that you can make sure that you are bringing people along and giving them what they need to feel comfortable about your change?
1: Oh, beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite book?
0: Um, I love... Almost anything written by Seth Godin, um, mm-hmm. but my favorite is um, is tribes. Uh, one of the one of the keynotes that I do is uh, uh, turning your volunteers into brand ambassadors or um, building an army of brand ambassadors, depending on whether you're talking about internal or associations. And I really believe in his theory of how do you make genuine connections one person at a time in order to build tribes that are meaningful in order to influence uh, the large-scale change that you're trying to accomplish.
1: Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite tool?
0: Well, our blog is my favorite tool. I would tell you that I believe that uh, content marketing is is just so important to be able to serve people and show what it is that you are, uh, what you have to offer, uh, to add value every single day. Um, so I would say, you know, my my WordPress blog is is my favorite, certainly my favorite tool.
1: Mm hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Exercise. <laughs>
0: uh, I am, that is the only way I can manage all of this, uh, the stress of being an entrepreneur and keep the level of energy up uh, for sure. So um, I'm a big fan of kickboxing and running and pretty much anything that keeps me moving.
1: Oh, excellent. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? Then they quote it back to you.
0: Yeah. The, big thing is really being willing to show up authentically. And uh, I really believe in, in so many of our keynotes, that's really one of the most important messages is how do you ground yourself in who you really are and show up with confident humility in that way. And when you can do that and balance the confidence and humility and and the focus of results and relationships, which is all this winning, that those are the four components of our winning well model, Uh, People will follow you and you will be able to accomplish great things and you will have more influence.
1: Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, Karen, where would you point them?
0: So our website is letsgrowleaders.com and uh, you can subscribe to our our free blog. Uh, we, we write two articles a week and uh, that's a lot, a lot of powerful tools there. And uh, also our book is available on Amazon and just about everywhere. And that's called Winning Well.
1: Mm hmm. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
0: I would really love for people to take something they really, really believe in and take, have the courage to position that argument well, to speak up and uh, to be the change. And we like to say, be the leader you want your boss to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, Karen, this has been a lot of fun. I wish you tons of luck and success with your speaking and your books and all that you're up to.
0: Oh, well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Thanks so much.
1: I really got a kick out of the only ugly. And she didn't emphasize it, but I've been thinking more and more about the only part because I've almost eliminated it a few times as I'm doing these write-ups. But I think it's really important. It's like, hey, this conversation is only about the ugly. You know, what are we underestimating? What has got to go? Where are we losing? And where are we missing the yes, U-G-L-Y? Very handy stuff to encourage. Oh, this is the time we get to talk about this. And I'm eager to say some things. I imagine maybe priming the pump by sharing a couple of your own observations and being humble and admitting some of your screw-ups along the way probably help get that moving all the better. So I hope you dug that and more. Again, the show notes, transcripts, and links to items we've referenced is at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep359. And I hope if you haven't already, you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll hear from our next guest. is Ryan Bonici. He is the chief marketing officer at G2 Crowd, very handy website, and he is sharing some of his pro tips for his rapid ascent and career guidance that will help you do likewise. Hope to catch you there. And peace.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.